And Father God, the resurrection that we just sang about, we are so thankful for. And Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. I pray that you would receive our worship this morning. God, that you would receive our praise and our thanksgiving for what you did on the cross, for dying on the cross, and for three days later, defeating death, something we can't even in our finite minds imagine. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your love and for your grace. God, we thank you that you chose to become a man, to experience what we experience. And God, I thank you so much for the gift of salvation and eternal life through your son, Jesus. And now as we put our focus on, God, this amazing privilege, the honor that we have to approach you, to come boldly before you, God, I pray over these last 40 days that you, the, the, the sparks that you began to ignite in our lives individually will result in us as a church desperate for you reliant on you, completely overcome by your presence, waiting and wanting and longing and expecting you to answer our cry. Be with us now as we find out how everything that we do as a church in terms of prayer leads to your purpose for your church, this bride. God, may we represent you well. God, may we treat it with respect. God, I thank you for your church, and I pray your blessing on us now. May your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. There's a guy by the name of Jim Simbola. He's the pastor of a church you might have heard of. It's called, uh, it's called um, uh, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. I almost said Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Brooklyn Tabernacle Church that is the originators of Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And Jim um, Simbola, uh, he and his wife um, came to that church in 1971. And it's a church that's been around uh, for, for a long, long time, way before that. But when they arrived, um, there were $3 in the bank, in the bank account of this church, it, it had 40 people, and one of the things that Jim and his wife realized in that moment was that this church needed a move of God like no other time, like no other church, and they probably needed a move of God too, because I'm sure when they arrived, they were probably very discouraged. I would have been. $3 in the bank, 40 people in worship. Those are those Sundays when you think, man, the volunteers outnumber the people who are in the church and worshiping. You know, we've had those days before, too, in the life of this church. And Jim called his church to prayer. And one of the very first things that happened was people began to confess sins. They began to admit their weaknesses. They began to essentially just kind of like be completely vulnerable about themselves, and that was in 1971, and the, the long story made short is, is that now today there are over 10,000 people that attend Brooklyn Tabernacle, and, and, and God is using this church in Brooklyn, New York as a lighthouse, not only, he, not only there in New York City, but around the world. And I love the fact that Jim, the very first thing that he did was he called his people to pray. 
And he realized that when God's people cry out to God, God hears and God answers his people. And church, that's true of us today. It's true for you. It's true for Hilton Head Island Community Church. It's true for church, capital C, around the world. When we learn dependence on God, when we cry out to God, when God's people pray, God listens, God hears, and God answers. Jim Symbolist said, no matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend on our times of prayer. And church, I want to say this today. In the middle of November of 2019, I always say that when I can't remember the exact date. I think it's the 16th, 17th, 17th. On this day, in this time, in this hour for this church, when we, God's people, pray, God begins to set our future in course, in his way. When God's people pray, when the church prays, God hears us, he listens, and he answers us. And it's during those times of desperation in our lives that prayer becomes something that we grasp onto. I've taken financial peace um, a couple times. It, it didn't take the first time. <laughs> Took me a while. That's Dave Ramsey's plan for finances and that sort of thing. Probably need to take it again. But I've heard Dave Ramsey in, on his radio show and in financial peace. When people financially get sick and tired of being sick and tired is when they change. You see, when we're at the end of our rope, <laughs> when we're up against the wall, when we are desperate, that's when you and I are the most compelled to make actual change in our lives. And I think the same thing is true in our lives when our lives are so incredibly desperate that we finally turn to God and realize the great power of prayer, the great power of going and taking full advantage of the access that God gave us when Jesus died on the cross. Are you today sick and tired of being sick and tired in your life? Are you sick and tired of throwing money at problems or sick and tired of, of taking a pill to solve something or sick and tired of taking that one more drink to maybe solve something in your life? Or are you sick and tired of the way that relationship is? Church, I wanna challenge each one of us because we all have things in our life, myself included, that I'm sick and tired of, and I'm desperate for something. There's not enough money that we can throw at something, not enough pills that we can take or drinks that we can drink, or strategies that we can come up with that will solve our problems and help us navigate the challenges that we have in our lives that prayer won't so much more easily handle because we tap into God on our side. And church, I want us to become a church that collectively as God's people have a desperation for God to move in our midst, both personally and corporately. 
And I know it's hard. I know it's hard when we say that we're trying too hard and that we're just going to give up on what we've tried and completely rely on God. The world tells us that that's just folly. The world tells us that it's silly to give up and completely rely on God. Business people look at us and go, you're completely dependent on God. You must not have had a good enough strategy and must not have had a good enough financial plan. The world hears our cries and our shouts to God in desperation. And they go, you Christians are so weak. And our friends may look at us and go, yeah, really? I don't want to hear another whining and complaining about your life. This is ridiculous. But church, God hears our cry. He listens to our plea. He hears our prayer and he answers us. And we need to understand, I need to understand that when we are desperate enough, when we are down to the final straw, when we're at the end of our rope, is exactly the place that God wants us to be. Because then we realize our dependence on him. We realize how much we need him to break through in that marriage to reach that wayward child, to come through with that financial need, to fix our business or fix the problems that we ourselves have created. I want to be a church. I want to be a person who's a person that calls on the name of God. I don't know if you realize this, but God's people from the beginning of time, they weren't called Jews. They were called the people that cry out to God. They were called the people who call on the name of the Lord. And church, if we're going to see something that God does that's great in our midst and in our lives and in our church, it's going to be because we are people who call on the name of of the Lord. And today we've kind of done, kind of like dove into uh, this kind of deep end of the pool that kind of brings together all these past few weeks of learning about prayer and learning about what God um, says about prayer and what God did through the death of Jesus himself. And um, we've learned that um, Jesus' death opened up the door for us to go to God at any time, in any place, in any condition. And we learn that we can pray bold and audacious prayers because God works in the realm of the impossible. We've learned that our prayers may affect the way that God executes his predetermined purpose and plan. We learn that if we desire to be people of prayer, we're going to live our lives stopping to pray and never stopping praying. We learn that the results of our prayer may be that God wants us to change we learn that we can ask anything in the name of Jesus and it'll align ourselves with God's will and we will see God answer prayer. But today, church, I want us to get corporately what God does when we pray. What happens when the church prays? What happens when God's people come together individually in our time with him and pray. What happens when we pray corporately? What happens when we get on our knees and cry out to God? What happens in our midst? And I want to give you, there's many things that happen. It'd be a two-hour message and you would absolutely miss lunch 
Yeah, the first service would miss lunch if I told you all the things that happens when the church prays. But I want to narrow them down to these five this morning. When the church prays, we are pruned by God. We are pruned by God. I love that Jesus uses this great illustration when he talks about prayer and when he talks about us coming close to God and becoming like him. He uses this illustration of a tree that needs to be pruned. And in his case, he, he uses the, the example of a vine. We, we might think of a tree. But in John 15, we see this great metaphor, this great illustration. Check this out. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be pruned than burned. I'd rather be pruned by the vine dresser, the, the, the one who can give life and can bring life into that pruned limb than one who's cut off from the vine and is burned like rubbish. We have this crepe myrtle that we inherited in front of our garage. It doesn't know if it wants to be purple or white. We never know in the spring of each year whether it's going to be purple or white. And I ask experts about the pruning process, and one expert tells me that in February around here, you need to prune that crepe myrtle. There's no way that it's ever going to grow the right way unless you prune it. Then I ask another expert, and they say, never, ever, ever prune that tree. Never prune that tree. So maybe the reason that it doesn't know whether it's purple or white is because one year I prune it and one year I don't, all right? And it usually has to do with our schedule and maybe a little bit of laziness thrown in. But church, I know this. Christ follower, I know this. Person who walked in here today who's far from God, I know this. That, that, that we serve a God that, that desires, we'll talk about this for in a moment, that desires for us to be productive. And I know this, that he's going to prune us until we abide in him and produce fruit. And I don't like that at all. Because I've gone through the pruning experience One too many times, and it's not fun. (laughs) But he does it because he loves us. He does it because he cares for us. And he does it because he wants his glory, and he wants our best for us. And he prunes us because his name is glorious and deserves to be made great. As the New Testament, the Old Testament speaks of this in a verse that might be familiar to some of you in 2 Chronicles 7.14. There's so much in those, the chronicles of the, the kind of record of um, what was going on in, in, in God's people during that time. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name will, what is that next word? Humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Forgiveness is 
a gift that God gave us through the death of Jesus Christ. But all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament included, he talks about constantly asking for forgiveness, uh, allowing kind of our, our, our record with God each day to be considered again because he wants his glory and he wants our best. And I see pruning in this verse. I see pruning if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now there's a lot of benefit there, isn't there? You want to be healed this morning? You want to be healed this morning? Maybe it's of a physical problem, a physical condition, a physical disease. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe, maybe you're someone like myself who, who has in the past struggled with depression Maybe today um, you came and there's some part of you that you're desperate for God to heal. He can and he will heal you. But first, we need to humble ourselves. Do you realize there's not much said in, in Scripture about prayer or humility is not right there. And in God's word, there are certain promises that are unconditional there's nothing that we must do to receive those promises. And then there are some promises that are conditional. There's if-then promises. And in, in this case, we see one of those conditional promises. If we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek our, his face, then God, it's conditional. If we humble ourselves, if we are, 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 have humility, and if we have prayer, and if we, that word seek to me, means desire, and if we embrace repentance, then God will listen, and he will forgive, and he will heal. What happens when the church prays? Church, <laughs> we will be pruned by God. And while it's not fun, it's for his glory. And it's for our good. But the second thing that happens when the church prays is that we receive the peace of God. When the church prays, we receive the peace of God. Sunday morning is sometimes the most unpeaceful part of our week. I don't know about you, okay? I'm the pastor, and I'm saying that we have some very unpeaceful mornings. Are, are any of you with me? Did you have maybe an un, a, pe a morning that lacked peace this morning? Yeah, don't do this. Do this, all right? <laughs> listen to him. How about you listen to him? <laughs> Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't be anxious about anything. The older I get, the closer my kids get to college, the more difficult that is. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's crying out to God, by the way, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And in verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. 
This isn't the peace that we think of. It's not the peace that the world thinks of. It's not even the peace that the world thinks of when they think of Jesus at Christmas, when we Christians talk so much about peace. Because when the world thinks of peace, they think of the absence of conflict. Sounds great to me, because I hate conflict so much. But the peace of God is actually not the lack of of conflict, but it's the presence of God in the midst of our chaos. And we receive the peace of God, church, when we pray. True peace is marked by the presence of God, not the lack of conflict. Toby Mack of uh, DC Talk lost his son in late October of this year. I don't know what he and his wife went through, what they are going through. But here's what they said to the world after a lengthy statement about their son. The end of the statement. They said this. My wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like we follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys. He's the God of the hills and the valleys. The God of the hills and the valleys. And he is beautiful above all things. I don't know anything else that communicates peace more than that statement. He and his wife clearly have the peace of God in the most desperate situation. And whatever you're going through, whatever you came in here with, whatever you came in carrying this morning, you can receive the peace of God when you pray. You will receive the peace of God when you pray. I have to tell myself that sometimes when I get frustrated and flustered and depressed and anxious and angry about situations and circumstances. I have to remind myself that he is the God of the hills and the valleys. So what happens when we pray? We're pruned by God. We receive the peace of God. Thirdly, we access the power of God. James 5, 13 through 20 says this. If any among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. If any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, verse 16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be, what's that next word? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. In church, when we pray, When we as God's people come together and when we pray, we don't have to live any longer with a lack of abundance or powerless because we have the power 
of God on our side. We have the power of God who defeated death like we just sang about on our side to accomplish the great and mighty things that he's asked us to accomplish. We have the power of God on our side. And so often myself and, and sometimes I know you and, and sometimes we as God's people, we walk around, we, we know where the outlet is. We've got the plug in our hand and we walk around with the plug in our hand and go, I don't understand why I feel so powerless. And it's right there. Sean and I, I I've spoken these last few weeks about Christmas and how much I don't like to set up for Christmas to decorate in our house. And, and it really sounds like I don't like Christmas the way that I've talked about it. Man, Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. It really is, all right? But I just don't like getting the stuff down from the attic. That's just the bottom line. But I've got an almost 13-year-old, and he helped yesterday, and so we got the basics done. And, and so we, uh, we were plugging in the tree, and one, I, used to love, I used to love the live trees. How many of you are live tree people? God, I love live trees, right? All right, so finally I gave in a few, few years ago, and we bought a tree. And this tree is great, and I forgot about the fact, I plugged it in, and I forgot about the fact that it's one of those trees, it's in three parts, it literally takes five minutes to set up, it is great. And I have learned to really love fake trees now, because when you pop it in, the whole thing lights up. I don't know how it works, it just does. It's great. So yesterday we were putting this thing up, and I put the first part, I was already plugged in, first part lit up, and the second part, boom, and Sean goes, oh, cool, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, that is cool. I don't know how that works, but that's cool. And then we put the top in, and it lit up. And church, that's how far you and I are from accessing the power of God. Is just getting on our knees and asking for his presence to be made known to us. And so when the church prays, we're pruned by God, we receive the peace of God, we access the power of God, and we, fourthly, we become, more, we become productive for God. Listen, God didn't create us just to exist as pods. He didn't create us just to be. He created us to bear fruit. And yes, he says abide, but he says abide again for his glory and for our good. But he says it because of his glory and our good so that we will bear fruit. And all throughout this analogy, this great metaphor that Jesus uses in John 15, he talks about that. And look what he says in 15, 5, 7, and 16. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that, what, is, what does it say? Bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Pretty clear. And then in verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. And the first steps to being productive as Christ followers is abiding. And through prayer, listen, church, you and I will be people who bear fruit. And so what happens when the church prays? We'll be pruned by God, 
will receive the peace of God, will access the power of God, will be productive for God. And then lastly, we will accomplish the purpose of God for the church. We will accomplish the purpose for God of the church. God's clear all throughout scripture that the purpose of the church is to go. In Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and preach the gospel and, 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 and baptize people and teach people. And that's the purpose of the church and it's included in our mission. But it's prayer that is gonna be the engine from which we both are productive and achieve our purpose as a church for God. And there's a great passage, and I want to read it from the NIV because I love the way that the NIV translation puts it. Um, it it's a great passage when the, the church, the, the leaders of the church and the people who are followers of the way, followers of Jesus, they find themselves in prison for healing a man. And they find themselves in prison, and they are released from prison. And I've talked about this before. I, I would, at this point in time, lawyer up to find out how much gain I can get because I was falsely accused of something that, like, I yes, I did, but it shouldn't have been a crime, that sort of thing, whatever. Let me get a lawyer, and let me find out what my rights are. <laughs> These people didn't do that. They went back to their purpose in the midst of their greatest crisis. And in Acts chapter four, we see the record from Luke. He says, now Lord, consider their threats. And what's that next word? And enable, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They don't pray for protection from not being arrested again, from not being falsely accused again, from not being vilified again, from not being persecuted again. They pray for more boldness. It says, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus in verse 30 and 31. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Wow. God was at work. So much so that the very ground was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And all of the believers were one, it says in the first part of verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and in mind. Listen, church, I want you to hear this morning that when you and I pray, when we as God's people get on our knees in both the private times and in the public times when we're together in the corporate times, we become one behind the mission that God gave us to go out in our community with boldness. And I confess as your pastor that I'm not on my knees enough. My knees don't have calluses on them enough. My hands are not often lifted up with humility. But church, I don't know about you, I know that that can change. Because I know that when the church prays, God hears us, God listens to us, and God answers us. 
Someone once said that the different disciplines that we have in the Christian faith of Bible study and prayer and even fasting and quiet time before God and time in the, in the closet or the war room as it's phrased in the movie, that those things should become habit. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word habit, I think of another word. <laughs> What's the word you think of when you think of habit? I think of the word bad, right? I think when it comes to prayer church, I want us to become a church that is instinctive. That our instinct is to pray. Because the first church, when they had success, they prayed. When they had failure, they prayed. When they were persecuted, they prayed. When the gospel was spread, they prayed. When they had need, they prayed. And church, that's the kind of church we need to become. A church that is instinctive about prayer. That at the very moment that we feel that urge of discouragement, of anxiety, of desperation for whatever it is, we drop to our knees and we cry out to the one who can provide for all of our needs. Next week, we're going to be practicing that. We're going to be practicing it by going out in our community and praying over this place. But right now, I want you to practice this by, if you can, getting on your knees. If you can't, that's fine. I understand it. Maybe some of you want to come down to the cross and just give it to God. It may, maybe some of you, maybe some of you are in such desperate need that today, today, you're at the end of your rope. I want to let you know that when you talk to God, when you reach out to him, he is there at the end of your rope and he is waiting to grab your hand. What happens when the church prays? We get behind the thing that God has called us to. Church, let's be desperate and let's be instinctive in our prayer. God, I thank you so much for your people. God, I thank you that we can pray with our eyes closed and you see us. God, we can pray with our eyes open and you see us. We can pray when we're in the midst of our biggest mess and you hear us. We can cry out to you in the, the height, the greatest ill, the greatest mountain of our lives. God, we can cry out to you in the most depressed valley of our lives. God, we can cry out to you when there's no money in the bank and when the bank account is full, we can cry out to you when there is plenty and when there is none. God, we can cry out to you when our hands are dirty, but also when they're clean. And God, I thank you that part of what you want for us, in fact, the whole thing that you want for us is for us to be one, to be behind you in your mission for your bride. Father, help each one of us to humbly, myself included, starting with me, God, to be people that are humble. When we have our greatest need as a church body, God, when we have a need of $500,000 in seven months that we need to raise. Closest friends who's never darkened 
the doorway of a church or hasn't in decades or years that we continue to be on our knees crying out for that friend to come to church. God, when we have the conflict that we have in our families or maybe even amongst friends or neighbors or brothers or sisters or church members, God, I pray that we would be people who are desperate for you. Allow us to be pruned by you. Give us the peace that can only come from you. God, help us to understand that we can access power that comes from you, that we can be productive for you. And God, that there is a purpose for each one of us and a collective purpose for your church to be bold behind sharing your good news. Father God, as a leader of this church, I confess that I am not always faithful, that I am an imperfect vessel. There are many times that I don't hit my knees soon enough. God, help us to be a people. Help me to be a man. Help us to be a church that is instinctive about prayer. God, may we just watch you work in and through us. And I pray all of this in the strong, in the mighty, in the powerful name above all names and all God's people said, amen.